Compliance, the final frontier. Tom Fox is the voyager of trekking through compliance. His mission, to explore the original series and seek out and share what it can teach you about compliance. Here's your host, Tom Fox. Hello everyone, this is Tom Fox. I would like to welcome you to a special Encore series of Trekking Through Compliance. This series will focus on the 2020 television show Picard. In this series, I'm joined by Megan Doherty. Megan is co-founder and partner at One Stone Creative, a podcast production firm. Megan is a Star Trek aficionado, although a Voyager Star Trek aficionado. And as all you listeners know, I'm an original series aficionado. Nevertheless, we both love Jean-Luc Picard, and we are going to explore the lessons learned and the shows and our love for Star Trek in the context of Picard. So sit back and enjoy this special presentation from Trekking Through Compliance. Hello, everyone. This is Tom Fox, and you are in for a real treat because I have with me Megan Doherty. Megan is one half of the founding team at One Stone Creative, but most importantly, she is an uber Star Trek fan. And we are going to go through um, a podcast series uh, on uh, the new show, Picard. So, Megan, First of all, welcome. Thank you, uh, Tom. I'm I'm excited to be here. And when we were talking about this a couple of weeks ago, um, I was really excited. This kind of a show is extremely up my alley, Uh, even though I'm more of a behind-the-scenes podcaster than an in-front-of-the-mic podcaster. So I'm I'm excited to do this, and I was super excited to get into the new Picard show, which I've been looking forward to. Well, welcome to moving uh, into the category of on-air personality <laughs> and talent. So we both jointly love Star Trek, and uh, as listeners to this podcast know, I did a 79-part daily series last summer of Trekking Through Compliance, and we thought uh, Picard would give us a great opportunity to engage in our joint love of Star Trek and uh, do some more podcasting. So uh, we are going to do each episode and we um, are going to then see where we can take it from there. So we had episode one, which was entitled Remembrance. And following a Romulan supernova, uh, Jean-Luc Picard resigned his commission from Star Trek in protest of the uh, Federation's failure to save the lives of Ro- Romulan citizens. This was in part caused by an attack on the Confederated Martian colonies and the Utopia planetary shipyards by synthetics, uh, which would lead to a ban on them. And, of course, that means data. Picard retired to his country estate in France. Uh, Separate and apart from this, in Boston, a woman named Dodge was enjoying an evening with her boyfriend when Romulan assassins transported into her apartment. They killed her boyfriend, but before they could kill her, she somehow became activated and killed all of the assassins. She then experienced visions of Picard and sought him out after seeing him interviewed on the Federation News Network, which is how we learned about why he left Star Trek. Dodge found sanctuary with Picard, but then uh, left uh, because she was afraid she would bring harm to him. Picard then went to the Starfleet archives and discovered a painting that Data had made of Dodge some 30 years previously, 
which was a mirror painting or uh, a mirror image of one that uh, Picard had in his estate. It was entitled Daughter, and it had a female figure uh, resembling Dodge. Uh, Dodge then tracked Picard down at Starfleet headquarters um, and reunited with him, but then the uh, Romulan assassins materialized and killed her. Picard then traveled to the Daystrom Institute, a great cookie there from the uh, original series, which is now in Okinawa, and met with Dr. Agnes Shirati, who revealed that Dodge may be Data's daughter through an experimental procedure known as fractal neuronic cloning, meaning she's an android with an organic body but a positronic brain, and that the process results in twins. The episode ended at a Romulan reclamation site where a Romulan named Narek meets with Soj Asher, Dodge's twin sister. And in a great uh, foreshadowing, as the camera panned out to end the episode, it showed the reclamation site to be a Borg cube. So, Megan, what were your initial thoughts about the first episode of Picard? First big takeaway was that it really felt like Star Trek. Like, it felt like it was exciting, it had this great science, and it had all of this really heartwarming, aspiring for the highest um, behavior of at least some of the characters that that really made me feel like it was, okay, this is like original Star Trek-style content. So I was super, super happy to see that, because I think, you know, some of the movies, some of the other series haven't quite hit the Star Trek note as well, and, and this one did, uh, at least with the first episode. So that, that was my initial reaction. So are you a Jean-Luc Picard aficionado? I, I really like Jean-Luc Picard as a captain. My, my personal favorite captain is Janeway. Um, uh, I always connected with her the most. Um, and, I mean, Cisco is pretty rad. Um, but, but Captain Picard, probably top three. So I was uh, reminded in researching uh, for our podcast that uh, Jean-Luc Picard, the actor who plays in Patrick Stewart, is now 79, and he was 48 when he initially started as Jean-Luc Picard. Mm-hmm. And so we have seen him grow professionally, although he was very well known at, at the time when he took the role. But we have seen him literally for 30 years on uh, television, in movies. I've seen him on stage. And every role I have seen him in, he is just taken with a plum. Oh, he's so good. And, and what I, I love about him, too, is he's oh, like a wonderful human being in his non-professional life as well. Like he's so active in, in social justice and trying to make the world a better place and trying to speak for people who, you know, can't necessarily speak for themselves uh, all around, like really swell guy. So with an actor of that age, he's obviously going to have some uh, limitations on the physical things he can do. And they, I was intrigued by the way they incorporated that into the episode itself where he had to go up mm-hmm. several flights of stairs and Dodge really had to basically drag him up these stairs uh, do you think that took away from the action nature of the show? No, I, I didn't at all. I love that they did that because um, they, you know, they probably could have used you know body doubles or or creative editing um, to make it look like he was perfectly spry. Um, but you know, he's not. The character's in his nineties. Um, Patrick Stewart's almost eighty, uh, and it's. I love the idea of of a senior action hero, you know, in the Star Trek fantasy. I think that's great. Um, I, I think it adds to his humanness in a really important way. Because I mean. It, age is coming for us all. So it, it's nice to see, you know, he's still doing things and he's still trying to achieve despite, you know, physical limitations that are increasing. 
You spoke about his uh, Patrick Stewart and some of the mm-hmm. um, things he has taken on in, in terms of his professional life uh, to help make the world a little bit better place. And we saw that in this character. Do you want to describe really your thoughts around uh, why he resigned from Star Trek and was it the right decision to make? Yeah, that was that really hit me because I know when we were starting about talking to the show, we were talking about maybe looking at, at compliance or legal or, or innovation and management angles. And when he said that he had left Starfleet because it was no longer Starfleet, um, I, I thought that was really impactful and really, really relatable. Because, um, I mean, you know, who hasn't had a, a career where you you find yourself at a company or in a position and either they've changed or you've changed, but all of a sudden it wasn't what it used to be and you're not as proud to be a part of it. Um, and, and you have to either decide to kind of give in to these negative changes or accept things you no longer want to accept or get out. And And that he left and took this ethical stand. Uh, I think that's been a mainstay through most of the Star Trek series is that you have to have these ethics and you have to have these principles. And if you abandon them, you know, what, what even is the point? Uh, and so I, I, I love that. So one of the things that intrigued me when I went back and uh, did my 79 art series on the original mm-hmm. series, but also then in thinking about the next generation and more particularly Deep Space Nine was sort of the, um, I don't want to say, eth- I guess the ethical stands that each one of those captains took. Uh, Kirk, in many ways, was uh, creating things like the Prime Directive and having to interpret it for the first time. By the time Next Generation had come around, it was a fairly well-standard rule and regulation, and that uh, Picard really, uh, I thought, tried to adhere to that as much as possible. But then when we got to Deep Space Nine and Benjamin Sisko was on the frontier, and I found he had a much more flexible um, format for making uh, some of the decisions he made. But in many ways, it was sort of like the Wild West. And uh, when whether it be the Canadian Wild West or the United States Wild West, I think that things were on the frontier. Uh, you had to make those kinds of decisions. And sometimes you had to have creative flexibility to allow you to, uh, to move forward. So I was really intrigued. I've been intrigued by the the different leadership styles around ethical decision-making by each one of the captains. Do you have any thoughts on that? Yeah, I think um, Voyager Voyager plays into that too a little bit because I've heard it said in in criticism or commentary, it's not the prime directive so much as it is the first suggestion. Uh, And that's really the the different context that these captains are are finding themselves in because we've got Picard and he was really kind of a traditional Starfleet captain in the tradition started by Kirk. Um, Benjamin Sisko in the frontier in a basically active war zone. Um, And then you've got Voyager, who's sent to the other side of the galaxy, where they've just got a totally different set of situations and resources, and how each of the captains or commanders deals with that. um, You know, it it does have to become a lot more flexible when you don't have the resources of an intergalactic organization to fall back on. So um, the the action scenes, I thought, in Picard were great. The scenes with Dodge uh, Dodge, uh, were just awesome. And particularly the first one when the Romulan assassins transported into her, her apartment because you were really surprised at that point. You, you had an inkling that that might happen again when she uh, connected with Picard later at Starfleet. But uh, the um, uh, fight scenes were just first rate. They clearly put a lot of time, effort uh, into those and uh, very, very action-oriented. And it was beautifully choreographed, too. It reminded me of uh, Firefly a lot and how River Song uh, had all this dance training that she brought to the fight choreography. It was, it was gorgeous to watch. 
I'm a big fan of Daystrom, and that episode in um, the original series is one that uh, mm-hmm. I uh, wrote, written about, and thought about a lot. So it was great uh, for me. It was great when they went to the Daystrom Institute, but um, the attack by the they call them the synthetics um, on the Martian colonies and the shipyards uh, was fairly well described, and I think they talked about the number of people who were killed, but we still don't have uh, an inkling of why that happened or really uh, what led to that. We only saw the fallout. What did what did you think about that, and where do you think it might be taking us? Um, I'm hoping we get a lot more about that because um, you know, AI and the possibility of, of artificial intelligence becoming kind of independently sentient is like really of the moment, right? Like it's, <laughs> it's, it's current nightmare fuel uh, for, for a world that could very much be possible in the next year. 20, 50, 100 years. Uh, and so when you think about what's scary about AI developing and becoming more of a part of our lives, it is them going rogue and killing a whole bunch of other living beings. Um, so I'm, I'm excited to see where they take it, um, especially because, as we mentioned, Seven of Nine is coming back in, and that kind of human tech um, interplay could be a bridge between, you know, say, full flesh and blood organic being uh, and full AI being. Uh, and seeing how that develops, I think it's going to be one of the more interesting things about the show uh, over the next nine episodes. So you mentioned Seven of Nine, and she, <laughs> uh, I think in the pantheon of characters, is probably one of the five most beloved characters uh, in Star Trek. She was incredibly unique, and whoever thought of bringing her to Voyager was just brilliant. Uh, sort of what are your thoughts about Seven of Nine? Well, um, I was growing up just when Voyager was playing. And so a lot of my friends in elementary school, we would watch it and then talk about it every week. And we basically had a Seven of Nine fan club. Uh, so <laughs> like I, I, I remember absolutely loving her character and how she grew and became more and more of a person and watching her develop and, and discover like likes and dislikes and a sense of humor. Uh, uh, I I think maybe especially for having been growing up watching that happen, it was really cool to see a really cool, like, hot adult going through these things that I was sort of parallel going through as a kid getting into being a teenager and on, and so were my friends. So uh, I think she's a wonderful model for what it means to grow as a character, Um, but, you know, with superpowers, because why not? (laughs) So... (laughs) As the scene, or rather as the episode ends, I think we had great foreshadowing by meeting... Dodge's twin sister, uh, a lot of the commentary I read um, really focused, though, on the Romulan who uh, landed at the reclamation site, one Narek. Um, a lot of people think he's mm-hmm. going to be a really bad guy. Um, he, <laughs> he looked uh, like uh, definitely a hustler um, or a con man, but... Um, what was your sense, I guess, of when you first saw him and, and what his interaction was with Asher? I didn't quite get uh, this is definitely going to be a bad guy vibe. And I think that's because of the kind of two assistants or attendants that Picard had on the vineyard. Um, you know, they were, they were like chill Romulans. So they kind of, I think, were opening up a greater spectrum of Romulan behavior. Um, and, and, I mean... It's all dark. It's really gritty in this area. It's it's the Romulan Borg mothership. You know, plainly he's being trying to like be presented as someone who's going to be kind of evil and kind of bad. But there's also this framework for potentially nice, caring, really engaged Romulans. So I, I want to reserve judgment on that one. 
so far. I, I'm not ready to uh, cast him as the bad guy entirely. For me, it actually sort of picked up on uh, Insurrection, which I think is panned as a movie mm-hmm. yet. I thought really had, yeah, it, it was so I good. thought it was great. And I thought it had some interesting uh, open questions that it left, which could have been explored had there been more uh, TNG movies. But one of the things that struck me was uh, a moving to try to have some sort of, if not reconciliation between Terrans and Romulans, at least rapprochement. Mm -hmm. And uh, Picard clearly felt the same uh, with his attempts to save the Romulan population, uh, which were not successful when the uh, Romulan sun went supernova. And then, of course, the Borg Cube. Mm -hmm. Uh, The Borg Cube. The Borg Cube. (laughs) Was not expecting that at the end of the episode. I guess the other thing that intrigued me was it wasn't a, uh, a fully formed Borg cube. No. I, I don't know if it was damaged. I don't know if it was, uh, you know, like the Death Star. They were still working on it when the Emperor arrived. Uh, um, but uh, it was definitely a Borg cube. That may be the cue for Seven of Nine, but it also opens up a lot of other uh, potential storylines as well. Yeah, I, th- I think if I was going to, I will make a prediction. I think kind of, intersections and, you know, a a variety of places on the spectrum of one stage of existence to another is going to be a big theme uh, for this series. I think they're really going to explore that Um, because they've got a whole bunch of different angles to explore it on. Um, So that's how I think they're going to, they're going to be playing with that. You think we might see Locutus? We might. We might. (laughs) I'm I'm really excited to see Will Riker. Like, I'm just like in my heart so excited to see him as an older, older grown up. Um, yeah, there's there's really strong nostalgia happening with the series um, right. that I'm finding pleasure, and I hope they don't rely on it too much. What are some of the other leadership or compliance lessons that uh, came up for you in this first episode? Uh, the big one for me was that um, kind of organizational culture one. Um, you really have to watch out for organizational culture because the people on your team or in your organization will identify with it if it's good, but then if it starts to change or if it starts to degrade, um, there's nothing you can do to regain company loyalty in that point. Like if people don't feel good about what the organization is doing, um, you are going to have your top talent like Picard leave in, in under terrible situations, like under with, with anger. And, and it's so easy for that to happen um, because, you know, you respond in the best way that you can, maybe as leadership or as management to a really difficult situation um, and not realize that by doing that again and again over time without going back to these guiding principles and making sure that your values are still aligned with your ideals um, you are going to lose the trust and faith of both the people that you work with and the people that you work for. Um, so I think that's that's the big one, is is make sure that you, if you are in a management position, make sure that your team can feel proud to work for you, <laughs> or at least not ashamed. It's, <laughs> that's that's the big one. And make sure Starfleet is still Starfleet. Make sure Starfleet is still Starfleet. That That should be in every management training. Make sure Starfleet is still Starfleet. Well, Megan, this has been a fascinating exploration of uh, what is going to be a lot of fun for both of us. So I greatly look forward to the next uh, episode. Same here. Thanks, Tom. If you enjoyed this episode of Trekking Through Compliance, you can help it grow by sharing it with the biggest Trek fan you know. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.